Welcome to Creative Conflab, where we'll have honest conversations about creativity, art, design, and craft. Ready to get started? Let's go. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Creative Conflab podcast. You're listening to episode five with friend, entrepreneur, and coach, Mike Tanner. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the show. Hi, Tara. Thank you very much for having me as uh, number five as the, uh, for the podcast. It's good to be here. Yeah, you're in the top 10. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I have always made top five lists, like top five lists. I got it from High Fidelity. Like It was like, what are your top five? What are your top five? And so the fact that I squeaked in into the top five, I'm like, as long as I'm in the top five, everything's golden. So... Amazing. Love it. So uh, I always like to start each episode with a positive note. So I'd like you to share something that has recently brought you joy. Something that has recently brought me joy. So I took a guitar home from my office the other day. I've got a bunch of uh, coworkers that play guitar and um, I had to drop into our office to pick up a few things. And I was like, you know what, does anyone mind if I borrow a guitar? Cause I haven't, I don't have one at home and I used to play a lot. And, um, so my wife was like, why do you have that guitar? Are you going to start playing guitar in our house? And I was like, well, yes, probably. And so I, we took it to our cottage this weekend and I ended up playing a few songs for the kids. And my son like mostly ignored me and was just like, I'm going to read, but I'll be in the room and I'll tap my feet a little bit. <laughs> and my daughter did like complex ballet dances to all of the songs that I sang and like kept telling me like, that was my favorite song. That was my Aww. favorite song. And so uh, it was really cool. It was like, and I was like terrible. Like the guitar wasn't great. The singing was worse than I'm used to. And, um, but she just loved it. She had a wonderful time. So that was my, my ray of positivity this weekend. Amazing. Yeah. I love how kids especially don't see any of our imperfections. They're just like, you're the best in the world. Why aren't you winning Grammys for this kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> right. Kids are just like, you know, we talk all the time about critics and like how we're probably our worst critic. And then there's a bunch yeah. of other people online who are happy to be critics for us sometimes. Uh, but kids are just like, I mean, they will tell you if they don't like something, which is oh, sometimes yeah. great to hear. But like in general, they're just like, like according to my daughter, I make the best magic folded eggs that have ever been made, which is basically just an omelet. Uh, but if you name it something funny, suddenly kids are like, oh, I'll eat that. Um, yes. And so I make apparently the best magic folded eggs in the world. So Amazing. Another thing on your list of amazing things that you do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we've known each other for quite a while now mm -hmm. and you're one of the busiest people that I know. Um, you're always starting new projects and collaborations and I love that you constantly try new things. So for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to lately and what creative projects you're dedicating your time to. Sure. So my name is Mike Tanner, as you said. Uh, I am the founder of One Red Cat Media. Um, and I, I started it based on the idea that was the same thing. I was home and someone wanted something done and I kind of went, I feel like I could do that. Uh, and in the beginning, it turns out I couldn't, uh, but I figured it out along the way. And so over the 
that was about nine years ago now, actually. So over the past nine years, I have built websites and help people with social media and all that kind of stuff. And then a couple, a few years ago, probably about five years ago, uh, I started doing a lot more coaching because I found that like I could give people tools that they could use, but if they didn't know how to use them or why to use them, um, it, it didn't really make a lot of sense. It's kind of like if you handed me a saw you would find out that I do not know how to build things out of wood, uh, nor do I know how to use a saw properly. And so uh, I started doing a lot more coaching and a lot more on the strategy side of things to sort of help people understand what they were working with and understand what they could do with things. And um, yeah, during that time, I've also experimented with a whole bunch of things. Uh, I wrote a couple of books, one of which you were actually the designer for, which was fantastic. Yes, I love that project. That was was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I've I've had a number of podcasts. Um, Right now, I'm on a mini pause, although that's about to be unpaused from my podcasting uh, world. Um, and yeah, I, I do, uh, communications for, uh, a ministry organization, uh, basically helping them get up to speed with, with what they do and also spend a solid chunk of my time taking care of my kids. Uh, so I've got two kids, uh, aged eight and very recently six. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's how I, that's how I end up spending most of my time. Yeah. As I said, one of the busiest people I know. (laughs) I'm a little busy sometimes. And I just, I can't seem to, I'm getting much better at saying no to projects that I should probably say no to, but I'm, I'm not remotely changing saying yes to projects that I really want to say yes to. That hasn't changed really, uh, really recently. So. Awesome. I love that. And how do you define creativity? Sorry, that was a short question for you to take us. No, no, it's it's a fine. I was uh, I, I've got some some coffee. This is uh, this is bottom number two for the day, so I don't really need it. Um, how do I define creativity? So for me, um, creativity is just an outward expression of what I feel inwardly, and so um, you know, it's a way to take. I've often described it from a business perspective of can I take all the stuff in my head, dump it out on this table and you can help me put it back together. Um, I credit Ross Simmons for being someone who is always more than willing to let me dump my head all over the coffee shop table and then put it back together with me. But yeah, he's for me, he's amazing at it. Uh, Ross is actually the reason I am in business today, basically. Um, but for me, it's really about like whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm sensing, whatever I want to express, just finding some medium or some platform that lets me express that. Um, according to my kids, I am amazing at drawing. Um, <laughs> turn, I am not. Uh, and so for me, a lot of it's not necessarily a, a, a visual medium. Uh, for me, it's usually writing or for a long time with songwriting and, and poetry. And, uh, and so for me, it's a lot of, um, it's podcasts <laughs> and it's books and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just whatever's on my head and on my heart. I just sort of pour that into whatever, uh, whatever means I have around me. Yeah. I love that because, um, one of my inspirations for starting this podcast is to make people shift their perspective perspective of what creativity is because we always go to I'm not a good artist when you ask are you creative so I love that you highlighted 
all of the skill sets that you are amazing at and none of them are art or or design i mean you are also a web designer uh, somewhat yeah but i'm like, a, it, yeah it, and when i do web design like a lot of cases i mean this is one of the reasons i work with graphic designers like you and akira and people mm-hmm. because in some cases i have a sense in my head of like i know what would look good but like that's like saying i know what would look good as a piece of furniture uh, yes. I, I know what it is and then I need to tell someone and be able to express to someone else what it is so that they can then make it for me because I just I don't have the the technical skills and I think that's yeah. where we we need to sort of separate some things like there is a technical skill related to art that you can practice and you can learn and you can train yourself in um, but that technical skill I think we have to disconnect that in many ways from creativity because otherwise we get stuck into I'm not creative equaling right. I don't have a technical skill and that's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So like me, as you've already mentioned, you're also a podcaster mm. and you have a variety of shows. So how many podcast shows do you have right now? So, and tell us a little bit about the topics. <laughs> so uh, this is where it'll get interesting. So a few years ago, r- right now, I technically have three live podcasts that are up. Um, okay. None of the three of them have had recent episodes um, because I just, I've, I've focused my attention on other stuff. Um, right. Sometimes purposely, sometimes not. Um, but I have three podcasts that you could find if you went on the internet to find them. Uh, the first one is called Mostly Spoilers. Uh, and it is a pop culture podcast with uh, a friend of mine, Laird Smith. Basically, what it is, is we used to get together once or twice a week to hang out and watch TV and watch movies and just kind of chat. And we realized like we have some pretty interesting conversations. So why don't we just record them, push them out. So anything from is a strawberry a fruit uh, to what is the best Marvel thing? And is Disney any good? Like just these really random sort of pop culture thoughts. Uh, the second, the, the main podcast I've had is riding in cars with cats, um, which is sort of a business and creativity podcast. It kind of, is where I get is it's where I kind of go to actually unleash a lot of the thinking that I have around topics. So when something's on my mind, I have typically gone to riding cars with cats and said, here it is. Um, and those have ranged from long form to short form and, and all kinds of stuff in between. Uh, the other one, which is probably the most creative of them, uh, is a podcast called chip off the old block. Uh, which when this is all over, I would like to, uh, when I say this is all over, I mean, uh, the inability to connect with people physically. Um, yes, I'd call, like to revisit I, it. I say when we can hug again. When we can hug again is a really good way to put this because it's, it's not going to be over. There's going to be a new normal and all these sorts of things, but, uh, I like the idea of when we can hug again. Yeah. So when we can hug again, I yeah. will be hopefully relaunching, uh, Chip Off the Old Block, which is a podcast all about potato chips. Uh, my love and passion and amazingly other people's really interesting stories about how potato chips have impacted or do impact their life. And it was shocking to me that people had so many stories around potato chips and it's been, it's been super fun. So, Yeah, it's one of those foods that everybody has a favorite. 
as I'm sure you've had heated discussions mm -hmm. after episodes <laughs> and during episodes. Yeah. Um, and also there's that comfort of all those like nostalgic memories of like movie night with your family or best friends or sleepovers, like camping, like all it's like all those memories. And yeah. So I'm not surprised that it's a hit. It's it's been really interesting to me. the the last um, The last episode I released was with uh, Jonathan Torrance, um, which was super cool to to talk to him. He's such a such an amazingly nice and awesome guy. But he's so humble and he's down so to earth. Yeah. nice. So, but his his story was around the fact that when he was a kid growing up at PEI. Uh, the rink that he went to to play hockey, the canteen opened before practices and before games and stuff. And he would go over and buy a little bag of chips and he would sit there in the rink and eat a bag of chips before his practices and games and stuff. And it was just such this like super cool nostalgic story. And it wasn't that like chips were amazing or this was, there was some crazy story. It was just like, yeah, chips just make me think of growing up and playing hockey on PEI. And it was uh, it was really cool to, to chat with him about it. So, yeah. yeah. So chips are also a time machine. Chips are very much a time machine. They're a connector. They're a time machine. They're a, they're a, a writing prompt or at least a, a technical prompt in some ways. And so it's uh, it's the stuff that I've gotten out of that that, have ha that has had nothing to do with potato chips is so wild and so cool. We've talked about marketing. We've talked about personal experimentation. We've talked about therapy. Like we've talked about all these things all through the lens of potato chips. Um, yeah. It's been pretty wild. Amazing. So what is it about podcasting that you love so much? So I think first for me, it's, it's the accessibility that anyone can do it. Um, I mean, if you can talk, and in fact, if you couldn't talk, you could actually use a typing tool, etc., to to type out your thoughts and yeah. have them read by an automated voice if you really needed to. But it's a medium that, in general, I'll say, is accessible to just about everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And for a long time, it wasn't. Like for a long time, it was like, well, you have to have a recording studio, and you have to have all this nice gear, and you got to pay a fortune for web hosting, and you got to pay all this stuff. And then a bunch of platforms have either said, look, we're going to make this free or cheap um, and we're going to make it easy, um, you know, where it was complicated before. So it's something that's so scalable to me for people that like if you have thoughts and you want to put them out, uh, you can podcast um, and maybe no one will listen. But it also depends on like for me, I've learned to sort of not pay too much attention to metrics yes. um, because for me, podcasting is actually, I'll be honest, it's way more to do with me than it is to do with the listener. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I'll be boldly honest for a second, like podcasting to me is like, you know, I, I've always talked to myself like growing up, I was an only child. And so I would talk to myself and I would have interviews and I would have long tip, like long stories and I would do all this kind of stuff. And eventually I was like, Oh, I can just record that and see if people are interested. And some people are, and some people aren't, but I just think that that accessibility um, and the ability to just do on any topic you want, you know, not everyone can write a book. Not everyone can, can, um, can do lots of different things, but, uh, almost anyone can podcast like it's not yes it's just so accessible to people yeah I agree and um I actually discovered recently which prompted me 
to do a podcast that I've been trying to blog probably since we met, mm-hmm. which is like six or eight years ago. Yep. So I've been trying to start a blog for that long yep. and recently realized it's not that I don't have good ideas or good content in my brain. It's that when I try to type it on a screen, I start to self critique and self edit. And it was taking me so long to do a blog post that I was like, this is ridiculous. It's going to take forever. But I can, I have conversations with people every day. And like you say, I could just record this and share it with everybody because I have so many amazing. Yeah. Because I can, because it's accessible and there's amazing people out there that have made it so easy. Right. Well, and it's such a, like, you know, blogging is such a, a, a hyper specific, um, process. Like it's, it's, it's such like, I, I'm going to write a thing and it more or less follows the same basic concept. Like you have to sort of be like, here's my header. Here's what it's about. A little bit of an introduction or a bit of a story. And then I'm going to have subheadings that are going to do all these things. But like, podcasts can take a million different shapes. Like a podcast can be me talking to myself while I do the dishes. That's literally a podcast I could do. Like Mike talks to himself while he does the dishes. And you know what? Some people will listen to it. I would because I know like... Don't tempt me because I'll end up making a podcast because I do a lot of dishes. So I'll end up doing this. I have to be very careful the things I say no and the things I say yes to. And so, and actually, if I can back up on that, uh, the potato chip podcast, I I wanted to explain to you where it came from. I love potato chips. Um, I I used to play board games every Thursday night with a group of friends, and we would always have potato chips. And I sort of became known as the guy who knew potato chips. I tried every flavor, and I'd done all these different things. And then I ended up having a very vivid dream in which I was the maker of a podcast called Chip Off the Old Block. And I woke up and I remember posting it on Twitter and I was like, ha, ha, ha. I had a dream where I had this podcast about potato chips and the internet was like, make it. Yeah, I was one of them. I know, I remember. Mike, Mike, do it. Make it, make it now, do it, do it now. And I was like, you can't make a podcast about potato chips. And then I just started being like, I mean, you can. Um, And so, like for me, it's like, well, okay, so those can be interviews, those can be this. There's podcasts, like my kids now listen to podcasts that are just kids' stories. Like mm-hmm. people write a story and they do it. And some of them have like involvement from kids. There's um there's a podcast called What If World. Um, oh. and so kids send in the literally stupidest questions you could ever imagine, and then they make up this podcast about it. Like what if a tree ate chocolate and was alive? And they're like, well, here we go. And so you end up like a certain amount of engagement. I've seen other podcasts that just just do a million different things. So it's such a, you know, we think of it as like a podcast is when people go into a studio and discuss the topics of the day involving a very focused conversation and moderator. And like there's podcasts that are like that that are great Um, but there's podcasts that are really wild and out there and interesting. And and that's kind of where I think people should try and be living is like, dump your face into a microphone and see what comes out the other end. And I just, I think it's such a, if for those of us who don't have certain creative technical skills, I think it's such an amazingly cool place to experiment and play. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I agree. We need more people yeah. experimenting with their creativity um, and just trying things. Like we're, we always, um, and I was very guilty of this. We stop ourselves before we even start. As soon as you have the idea, the next thought is, this is why it will fail. <laughs> yep. And then we never take the next step to even initiate starting a project. Yeah, and I think we've we've set ourselves up for that so well as like a culture. Like we we check in with people first about like what do you think of this idea? Mm-hmm. And and really what we're saying is give me a reason I should say no to this. Um and so first off, if you want to do that, be really clear. Tell people like give me a reason I should I should say no to this. Mm-hmm. Um I use this uh for the the office that I work with. I, I manage a production team. So we do video and, and audio and that kind of stuff. And we do something called intent-based leadership um and, and intent-based decision making. And it's from this guy who wrote a book about being a submarine captain and his name is David something or other. Uh, and I apologize to him profusely, but hopefully we'll put it in the show notes or something. Yes. Um, but he wrote this, this uh, story about when he took over a submarine, uh, he realized like, I have to get the submarine like ready to go. And I can't do that with the way we do decisions, which is like, I make a decision at the top and then I tell these people and then they tell these people and they tell these people. And it's sort of this, this pyramid that goes down. And so he did this thing where he's like, well, the people at the bottom of this who are the doers, they actually have the most information about their little thing that they do. Like they're experts in that thing. So what if you had them say things like, I intend to do this. And then people's job and, 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 and it is to basically, unless there's a reason they can't, you let them do it. Um, Basecamp, which is an organization I absolutely love in terms of what they do from creativity and organizational development. They do something where when they do these sprints, people put forward ideas. So I might put forward an idea that says, hey, I think we should do a new podcast. And I think it should be uh, conversations with the spouses of the people who work here. Uh, Like, that's what I think it should be. So people's job at that point in the organization is actually to tell them all the reasons that's going to fail but push back on them. Like these aren't reasons not to do it. These are obstacles we're going to have to overcome in order to, to do this. And then at the end of it, the person decides whether they're going to do it or whether they're not going to do it. And it's up to them. And then everyone, as soon as this is actually where I think people struggle with this, as soon as I decide I am going to do this, everyone else's job is to support me and lift me up wholeheartedly. And if someone says, I told you so, or, you know, we told you why this was going to fail, um, they don't get to be involved in that process anymore. Um, because I told you so people are not great people. Um, no. <laughs> so the idea <laughs> is like we, we can lift each other up and, and help people do stuff. And it's okay to point out to people like what would be the obstacles. But as a culture, we've we've sort of designed this system where the obstacles are reasons not to do it, not necessarily just obstacles you need to overcome in order to do it. Um, you know, I've, I've helped a lot of people launch podcasts. Um, I've helped a person launch a business where they supported people who launch podcasts and do all the editing and producing and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and the thing was always like, someone was like, Oh, I don't have the equipment. 
and, or like, how, what could I get for equipment? And it was like, well, you could do this or this or this. These are your options. Like you can go as simple as a pair of headphones or you can go as complex as a nice microphone. Um, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff you can do in the middle, but we have sort of lived in a culture that has, has just been like, what's the reason I can't do this thing? Um, yes. All the stars have to be aligned. Everything has to be perfect. There has to be no possible chance of failure or discomfort or hardship. (laughs) It's got to just like, we're getting in that rocket ship and going to awesome town. Right. (laughs) Well, we've, I, I don't, I, I don't think we're good as humans at, at accepting criticism in a, in a good way. Yes. And I don't think we're good as humans at giving criticism in a good way. Yes. And so that you know, could be com- a whole nother podcast for me. <laughs> yeah. Combining <laughs> those two things can be difficult. Like, you know, I, I, I grew up playing uh, football and um, I learned from playing football how I like to get positive and negative feedback. Like I actually learned like what works and what doesn't. And so I, I generally share that with people now. And when I've done something good, I need like a, you are the best boy in the world. Like I literally say about how I need like a good dog pat on the head. Like I need like just to be told like, you're such a good boy. I'm so proud of you. And like, I just need that. Um, if you, on the other hand say like, that was really good. What can we do to get better next time? I'm like, Oh, you don't think I did good enough. Right. Um, and it I'm immediately causes me to just be like, why can't we just celebrate this win? And like later you can tell me like, well, you know what would be really cool if you could do is this and I'll go for it. But um, so that that's one thing. And then on the negative side of things, I actually need people to say like, that sucked. You messed up. Like I need really clear because if you, if you give me feedback, that's like, uh, you know, I think you could probably do better. It was okay. It's kind of like, oh, well, then you don't really care. So what does it matter? Um, right. And so I've I've learned over the years to pull that into my professional work and and into jobs and into leadership roles and and support roles and all that kind of stuff. But like, I know how I like to receive feedback, and I've told people that, which is super important. And I know how I don't like to receive feedback, and I've told people that, which is super important. But we need to get better at recognizing those things in terms of yes. how do you like to receive feedback? How do you not like to receive it? What works? What doesn't? Because otherwise, it just doesn't go well. Right. No. Yes. Agree 100%. <laughs> so sometimes I feel we put too much pressure on ourselves to monetize and sell everything that we create. Sometimes passion or personal projects become the most creative because there's no limits, there's no boundaries, there's no one telling us it's right or wrong. Did you ever start one of your podcasts thinking you were going to monetize it? And if so, did you approach it differently than the others? Yeah. So I, I never started a podcast thinking that I would specifically monetize the podcast. Um, and I think in general, um, unless you've got a, a pretty huge following already, I don't think that's a great idea. Right. Um, in terms of monetizing the podcast itself, like in terms of sponsorship or in terms of like product sales or all these sorts of things. Right. But I a hundred percent with, um, I will admit that I, I'm just still a little bit shocked that I haven't gotten some sort of sponsorship deal from potato chip companies, but, um, I digress with, with riding in cars with cats. What I realized was 
this is a, a direct marketing tool. Like this is something that markets me as a thought leader or as a doer in an industry. And then that's going to help me monetize my business in general. Right. So I've, I've never, uh, I've never personally specifically said I'm going to monetize this. And I think that in general, I, I, I think it's much better to be able to push people to support you in general and to see the other things that you're doing. So like, for example, um, you design logos, you do branding packages, you do all these kinds of really cool things. But it would be weird to me to be like, I'm going to do a podcast about logo design and I'm going to try and sell people logos as part of it. Like, I just think it's such a, I think it's a space that doesn't really work super well. Um, But when you suddenly have a podcast that's all about creativity and all about bringing people together and all about these concepts, suddenly when someone goes looking for a logo design, uh, they go to someone that they've developed this relationship and, and, and situation with. And the number of clients that I have got that have come directly from the podcast or have quoted the podcast in like part of our communication or have said, I saw you or I listened to you say this on the podcast and I'd like to do that as well. Um, that part's been really high. I generally think the people who are like, I'm going to monetize a podcast and I don't already have a massive following, I I think it's a miss. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a miss from like like a humanity perspective because what it's doing is it's saying you are valuable as a commodity. And I think instead what you should be working on is like, I want people to know me and I want people to get, I want people to, love what I do and love the passion I have and love the knowledge that I have in some cases to the point where they then really, really want to work with me um, in whatever field that is. So like, cool that Joe Rogan makes a lot of money off his podcast. You're probably not going to have Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, No. And, and there, there are people who have sponsorship deals for podcasts, but to me, it's, it's, it's been a good idea. Like if you have someone who's like, I'd like to sponsor this because we're in alignment and I'd like to provide a certain amount of money to do it. That stuff's kind of fine. But the straight up monetization of creativity um, is a struggle for me in podcasts. But I also understand for creatives, like some creatives are like, oh, I can't monetize my work, like the technical output or those sorts of things. Like I know so many people who make beautiful stuff and I'm like, where can I buy that? And they're like, you can't buy it. Like I, <laughs> I, and, and I balance that with, with two things. Number one, if you want to sell it, sell it. And if you don't want to sell it, don't sell it. Right. Um, you know, there are people that I know who are like, I do this thing because I love it. And I don't want it to turn into a job um, because the second that I make uh, knitted mittens for babies because I want to sell knitted mittens for babies, I'm now the knitted mitten for baby maker person who you can hire and et cetera. And I, I just think like, there's all kinds of spaces out there for people who want to sell their art and people should be confident when they want to sell their art, that yes. they'll, they'll find someone who likes it. 
Um, but I also think like there's a certain place for people to say this creativity project, like, like I said, it's mostly for me because yeah. I'm already talking. So I might as well record it and enjoy it and kind of direct myself a little bit. So that's where I sort of, uh, that's where I land on that with the caveat that like, if someone wants to pay for your podcast, feel free. Yeah. Um, as long as it aligns with, I've seen some people take sponsorship with someone who's totally like the farthest away from their brand. And you're just thinking, I don't see how this connects. Well, this, this, for example, is a, is a prime example. Like I, so with the potato chip podcast, I've had a lot of people who have said, I bought potato chips because of your podcast. Like I tried this new flavor, I tried this new thing. And so I've, I've directed a lot of sales in potato chips. Here's the problem. If all of the sudden I decide that I'm sponsored by, or, or they decide that I'm sponsored by Lay's, well, here's the issue. I'm not going to say bad stuff about Lay's potato chips and like, right. Lace has had some terrible potato chips. Um, and I'm not going to say super positive stuff about old Dutch, nor would I, cause I generally hate the potato chips. But, right. um, the point being like, you, you have to make sure that you're going to be, you're going to be able to proceed with a certain degree of integrity in the way that you're, you're sponsoring your stuff. I feel good about, um, the way I've done it because I, I don't have anyone to answer to when it comes to when I suddenly say, Facebook sucks in this particular way and you shouldn't use it for this or Twitter ads are garbage generally and I've never found them to be helpful. I don't have to look at it and go like, oh, I can't say that because I'm sponsored by Hootsuite and Hootsuite's working with Twitter on this and so I, I yes. can't say these things. And so I just think in general, like the second you take money for it, uh, for podcasting especially, it changes the viewpoint, like your your journalistic integrity, if you will, can sort of disappear um, in certain ways. I have loved the fact that I can try a potato chip and go, that potato chip tasted like a garbage factory, <laughs> and I will never eat that potato chip again. Um, and so, for me, that's that's sort of where I've where I've really gone with it. So, one of your many talents is a productivity coach. Mm -hmm. Why is it so satisfying for us to have a to-do list that gets checked off daily? And why does having goals make us achieve our business and personal dreams faster? Well, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but here's what I'll say. So I have a very particular way that I, that I like to do to-do lists. Um, and I have a very particular thinking about them. Number one... I think to-do lists can be uh, the incarnation of Satan in uh, an entrepreneur's life. Um, we make a list of all the things we think we need to do and all the things we think we need to accomplish. And then at the end of the day, we look at that list and go, wow. <laughs> That's too I much. I didn't do any of those or I didn't do enough of those or it's too much or I'll never hit that one. And, and then so the, the, the evil word should comes in should is a real big thing. Um, and so I have a very particular thinking about to-do lists. One of the things that I recommend to people is to break their to-do lists down into tasks that they can accomplish. And I, as an example, I use like, say I put three things on a to-do list. And one of them is like, build Terra a website, design Terra a logo, write a uh, brand guide for Terra. 
cool. At the end of the day, there is very little chance I'm going to get to make any check marks on that list because those are larger scale tasks that are probably going to take me longer than a day. Those are week long or month long or whatever long projects. And so it's very easy to spend a whole day working and then look at your to-do list and go, I did nothing. Um, if, on the other hand, you broke each of those down into, say, the three to five pieces that you could do over the course of the next little while, then at the end of the day, you go, oh, I did two of the three things on that part, and I did three of the five things on that part, and I did one of the five things on that part, and suddenly I feel like I accomplished a few things today. And so I think it's important to have a to-do list because it's very easy to fall down a rabbit hole or to lose focus on what you should be doing or, or, and I say should, the things you need to do. I'll say need instead of should. Um, it's very easy to do that. If you don't have a list you can look at and say, what is the next thing I need to do? Um, and so I, I also strongly recommend to people and, and I've, there's lots of feedback I've gotten on this. I don't like to prioritize those lists. Right. I don't like to put them in a specific order because the second you do that, all the things that aren't at the top of the list become unimportant. And if they're right. unimportant, why are they on your list? Um, yeah. And the other and thing they, is that they keep going to the next day and the next keep going day, to the next day and, and the they next go to the next day and they go to the next day and they're never the most important thing on your list. Right. And so what I like to do is um, there's a, I like to use the frozen two uh, mentality for this, which is uh, do the next right thing. And so when I have a, a, a list of tasks uh, or to do's and I finish something, I'll look over and generally something jumps out at me is like, oh, that's the next right thing. Right. And I don't have to balance between wanting to do it or not want to do it because I want to do it, which is why it's on the list and why it jumped out at me. And so I recommend doing that. And then there's something that I recommend doing, which is evaluate your list. And if something has carried over a little bit, cross it off. You're not going to do it. Right. Uh, oh, if you I need to that. do it, if you need to do it, do it. Probably shouldn't um, do it with text and stuff. I generally not. And then there's things like I am a horrid procrastinator. Um, it is probably my, my least favorite thing about myself is, is procrastination. Um, but there comes to a point where you go, are you going to do your taxes or are you not going to do your taxes? Uh, and at that point I have to. And so, but there's things like I might decide, for example, I want to outline a new book. Um, in fact, this is something that came up today because I'm outlining a new book, which pains me greatly. Uh, and I hate it and yet I love it and I have to, so I'm going to, um, <laughs> we'll see. So, <laughs> but what I've basically done is if that to-do list of out, you know, write the overarching outline or write the whatever, if a week from now I haven't ticked that off, I have to tell myself, you're not going to do that. So right. cross it off the list. And I, ref I think of it from a baseball standpoint, which is like, you can't hit a home run if you don't swing. Sure. Yeah. But you can walk. <laughs> like I can just go to first and work on the next thing and I'm still making progress on my life. Um, I'm just not going to hit a home run if I don't swing at that. But taking wild swings at something is a really great way to strike out. And if you're not going to hit it, then why are you standing in the batter's box swinging away? 
um, that's something you're not going to hit. Yeah. So that that's the first thing. And from the goals perspective is I just think we have to have a destination in mind. Like, um, you know, your vision for where you want to be should be something, it should be a place you want to be or should be a state you want to be in. And so if you don't have that, it's like, well, why am I doing anything? Um, you know, I, I really think that I talk a lot about maps when I, when I do productivity work, when I do coaching and there's all these guides you can see online. It's like the three steps to becoming an expert podcaster or like the five steps to developing this thing. And the things that they don't take into account is where did you start from and where did you actually want to go? It just says, follow these instructions, turn left for two blocks, go straight for four blocks, turn right for a block, go straight for two blocks and then turn left. Well, if you start by facing the ocean, um, those directions aren't going to work. And so, and and if you don't know where you want to end up, those directions are not going to work. And so goals to me are a very good indicator of like, where do I actually want to go? And then I can sort of build the map to how to get there. And I just, I think you can't do it without goals. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of setting, uh, what I call the big, hairy, audacious goals. Like if you want to, if launching a podcast to you is a big, hairy, audacious goal, set it down tell people start to do, you know, start to work on it. Um, Cause a goal of like, I'm gonna, you know, sharpen a pencil. Uh, there happens to be an unsharpened pencil on my desk here. <laughs> That's not much of a win. And the dopamine that you get from winning that is pretty low, but the sort of excitement that you can build in in getting towards that thing that's a big goal can be pretty powerful. Um, And we need to understand that like, there's a lot of science in this and it has to do with dopamine levels and it has to do with, uh, with basically the levels of hormones in your body. Um, ticking off a bunch of goals or achieving a goal. It's a drug like, and there is a drug that is in your body that responds. And so you can do cocaine, but I'd recommend against it. Um, cause there's some side effects, but there's not a lot of side effects to like crushing a goal. Right. Um, and there's I, no side effects that I know of. And I remember you telling me once that winning gets addictive and that's why, right? Yep. Yeah. When it, and it, you know the the reason I called my my book really little wins is that I think that we need to celebrate and and hit those wins all along the way because yes. winning is both addictive and it becomes part of a pattern that we get into where winning is the norm yeah. um, and for a lot of people winning isn't the norm yet um, no losing yeah. is the norm and it's awful uh, and I've been there <laughs> you know I started doing this because I was unemployed. Uh, and <laughs> sitting at home with a baby, like, whew, what should I do now? Um, and I wasn't winning. There was some wins. There's lots of wins when you're home being a parent, but like, there was a lot of losses on a daily basis. And so for me, it was about like, what's a little thing I can do today? And then that included even part of parenting, like, okay, so what am I going to do today? Well, a big win would be don't cry today, but Let's say it's not super possible. So a big, you know, a little win is like get out of the house with the baby today. You know, the next little win is like 
have a coffee at some point, but just for yourself or like read five minutes of a book or, you know, play with blocks for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And you get in the habit of those little wins become something bigger and bigger as you go through. And so again, winning is incredibly addictive. Um, yes. You know, so. Yeah. And a good friend of both of ours, uh, one thing she's doing with her to-do lists page uh, she's putting things to look forward to between the tasks of the stuff she doesn't necessarily want to do so that when she sees, I don't really want to do this or this, but I really want to do that. So the getting outcome. through those this gets me to that. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was a great way, especially now where our brains are at half capacity. Mm. <laughs> like there's so much that we're dealing with, yeah. you know, where we have limited time to be productive. So yep. let's put in things we want to do in there and make sure those get done too. Well, we've, you know, I've been, you know, in addition to being home and working, you know, I've also got two small kids who normally would be in school. Um, and so we've been doing some homeschooling. We've been doing a lot of other things, but we've done things with them. And, and the, the thing is like, we need to be a little more childlike because with the kids, I can say, if you do your homework and make your bed, we're going to play this game. Yeah. Um, and then if you do this and this, we're going to go for a family bike ride and then we're going to do this and this. And it's like funny that we don't use that for ourselves, for ourselves. Yeah. We're like, I'm going to work today. And yeah, I'm going work, to do work, all work. the working because work, um, you know, I, uh, I've started playing around with a lot more sort of free time throughout my day in terms of like, okay, at some point today, you are going to do some exercise or some yoga, or you're going to do some reading, or you're going to do something that's, you're going to play a video game, whatever the case may be. But it's not that you just get it. It's that I get a reward for working through the stuff that I, that I need to work through. And, um, you know, I also, I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro method, which is that you need to work solidly on a task for at least 25 minutes. Um, and then, if you need to take a break at that point, take a break. Sometimes you get in a state where you're just flying through it and yes. you're good and that's the state of flow. You don't the want to suddenly interrupt state. that. Yeah. Um, I do something unique with it, which is the original Pomodoro method says set a timer for 25 minutes. And when that timer is up, then you go and stretch or walk or get a coffee or whatever. Um, one of the things I found was I was basically spending the whole time being like, okay, I have 16 minutes left. All right. Uh, I can work for, okay. I have 12 minutes left. All right. I can do this. And, <laughs> and then when the alarm went off, if I was in the middle of something, it was like, oh, I have to stop doing the amazing thing I was just doing. Right. Uh, so what I've done is I've built a series of Pomodoro playlists. So I built 25 to 28 minute long music playlists. Um, and I'll pop those in, put them on shuffle because otherwise your brain will figure out how much time yeah. is left based on the order of songs. Yeah. And when the music stops, it's like musical chairs. Sometimes I work for another 20 minutes because I'm just in the zone. But at the second where I don't want to be working anymore and I don't hear music, I use that as a trigger to say, okay, I, I need to go do something and get up and walk around and do all that kind of stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Love it. So I've had a lot of success in the past asking a friend, a coach, a work colleague to be my accountability partner on a personal or professional project. And I remember in the past, you had a team of people that you sort of recruited to be 
um, and accountability team for you where you uh, relied on them to give you honest feedback like mm-hmm. those that really sucked yeah. like yeah but also the encouragement side so why does this work so well and what are some tips on finding the right accountability partners for someone yeah so um i i stole this first off from a course that i took on coursera uh, by kimberly barker on personal branding and so it was about building a personal brand and she talked about a personal board of directors so imagine that you personally were an organization and you had a board of directors you don't have to run everything past them But when you want to do big stuff or you have some questions or you want to do some reporting, you sort of end up relying on them a little bit. Hello, Kitty. Um, For those of who are listening to the podcast rather than watching it, uh, I saw a cat and I like cats and I have a hamster and it tries to bite me whenever I try and pick it up. So uh, I sell a lot of cats sometimes. It's Leo. Oh, Leo's beautiful. Hi, Leo. I was trying to be quiet for a minute, see if we can catch it on air. Um, So the the personal board of directors basically says like, who are people that you would come to and say, here's the report on what I'm doing and the direction we're heading and and how would we do that? And she actually suggests that you you can have people on your board without them even knowing. Um, And what she means by that is like, who are some people you respect and can you insinuate to yourself what they would expect from you? Um, and I think that's fine. Like she talked about, like you could have a celebrity board of directors where my board of directors was like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, this is a terrible board of directors, but um, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. Uh, that could be my board of directors. And I make all my decisions based on what I think they would say. Um, but what she also says is you could have a, a physical personal board of directors. So that's what I did. I thought about not necessarily people in my field per se, because I think it's very easy to get narrowly focused on, on what you do. But I, I looked around and said, who are four people that I really respect um, in their particular fields? And I chose those four people and I reached out to them and said, I'd like you to be my personal board of directors. Here's the deal we'll make. Um, I'm going to get you guys dinner once a year. Um, we only did it for a year. After that, I sort of figured out what I needed and got from it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, here's, here's how we're going to do it. And um, it was great because I could message that. I messaged him at one point and said, I'm thinking of going in two different directions. Which of these directions do you think makes the most sense? Uh, because I legitimately didn't know. And they provided really great guidance on where I should go. And it, it actually, there's a lot of stuff that it impacted that I think now of like, oh, that's actually why I'm doing this thing or why I'm doing that thing. Accountability works because we're people. And we generally want, in some way, uh, recognition from other people. Um, yeah. There is a, a great book and quiz and person, uh, Gretchen Rubin, um, who does something called the four tendencies. And so the four tendencies basically, which I talk about a lot are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Um, you're an obliger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. (laughs) Um, and basically what she said, what she was writing a book called the happiness project where she laid out, like, here's how to be happy. It's pretty easy rules to follow do these things and you'll be happy. And the fact of the matter is she's 
right. Like the, the, they weren't wrong things, but she was struck by how many people wouldn't do them or wouldn't do them properly. Or, and she was like, I don't understand. I've given you the rules. I've explained to you how we do this. Why don't you just do these things? And so all of a sudden she looks at it and goes, oh, cause you're not guided by the same things that I'm guided by. And so she is an upholder. So for her, there's rules. You just follow them. This is easy. Uh, for me as an obliger, I'm basically like, will this make someone else happy? Uh, and that's how I make a huge number of the decisions I make. Uh, a questioner is like, I will do this, but I have some questions and it has to make sense to me before I will do it. An upholder just says, these are the rules and I'm going to do it. And a rebel says, ah, I do what I want. And it's mostly tied to their identity and, and who they think they are as a person. And it, rebels can be great or they can be terrible. Um, everyone, none of them are positives or negatives. They're just different ways that we approach things. And so for some people, like accountability buddies are stupid and they don't work. Um, my wife is an upholder. She doesn't need an accountability buddy. She just goes, it's the day I do the gym workout. Why wouldn't I do the gym workout? It's on my to-do list and I do my to-do list because these are the rules I've set for myself. Um, there's uh, Tara, I never, I never can pronounce her correct, her last name correctly, Jank, uh, the groundwork um, on Instagram. Tara at one point reached out and said, hey, if anyone wants to be an, an accountability buddy, I'll be an accountability buddy with you. And I, for running, and I reached out to her and was like, I'll do it. And we started running and I've had a bad knee, so I've had to switch to biking mostly. But um, she, I was at a presentation, I was at a, a conference where she spoke and she was talking about these things and she was like, I wasn't going to do this until all of a sudden Mike posted an Instagram story tagging me that said, I ran, let's do this. Yay. Go. And all of a sudden I was like, well, I guess I have to do this. And so, you know, I think she's probably, if I had to guess, I think she's probably an obliger as well. And so for obligers, especially, um, accountability is key and having someone else that can hold you accountable is super important. When you're choosing someone for an accountability buddy, there's a few <laughs> things you need to take into account. Number one, you have to, you have to choose someone who that you, who you trust is actually going to hold you accountable. Yes. Um, sometimes we hold people that are too nice to us as accountability buddies. And yeah. So because they, they tell yeah. us what we want to hear, right? Exactly. But yeah. That, like, oh, I loved it. It's great. Right. Like I, I couldn't, okay. like if I told my best friend, like, will you be an accountability buddy for me for biking? I would just get a high five or a thumbs up every time I went for a bike ride. What I wouldn't get was a message from him saying, hey, dude, you didn't bike this week. Why didn't you bike this week? Right. And that's the part where we need to think more about accountability buddies and that we don't do a very good job thinking of accountability buddies. We think of an accountability buddy as generally someone who's just going to say nice things when I do something good. And when it comes to accountability, we have to be held accountable when we're, when we're dropping the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also can't choose someone who's just like, you suck. You're not doing it. So you suck. Um, or a drill sergeant, like right. You you need to have. You only someone, did five miles today, Mike. Do fifteen. Try to do fifteen. <laughs> like I want someone who says, I want someone who says, why did you do five miles today and not fifteen? Which was right. what we had discussed. Okay, 
that's the reason. All right, I'll help you through that. And I think a lot of people miss out on that part. They just, they just sort of think, and a lot of people agree to be an accountability buddy because they're an obliger and they want to help someone out. And then they find out they're, they're not a great accountability buddy, but they're trying and it doesn't work out that well. So what I really recommend to people is like, find someone you really trust. And this is where coaching really works because I can be an accountability buddy for people because you're paying me to be an accountability buddy for you. And I'm going to hold you accountable because it's physically my job. Um, and it's difficult for someone who might have a million other things on the go to be your accountability buddy because, hey, they have a life and they have to do stuff. And maybe they're struggling and maybe them being an accountability buddy for you makes them feel bad about the fact that they're not doing something else. True, true. And so we can, we can rope people into these negative spaces in some ways. So the, the one thing I'd recommend with these sorts of things is find someone who you can communicate with really, really well. Like who's the person that you can have an honest conversation with? And that's the kind of person that you should be putting on your personal board of directors or as your accountability buddy. Um, but those are the people that are going to help you through this. Not the, not the yes men and not anything else. It's, it's going to be the people who, who are willing to work with you to get you from point A to point B. So, Right. Awesome. All great tips. Thank you. It's really hard right now to be inspired and motivated to do anything other than Netflix and chill. So where do you find inspiration and motivation these days? And what makes you keep working towards your goals? Despite the, the world? I'll just put it that way. (laughs) Despite not being able to hug. Um, So where do I find inspiration? Um, For me, it's typically from people. Uh, It's people that I see doing incredible things that I, that I think I want to aspire to. Um, So I think of people like Caitlin Burgoyne um, and Jason Burgoyne who are in the midst of launching, like Jason's launching this really awesome new business. Caitlin, who does, who is like the world's expert on customer research and, and, and talking to customers um, is, is helping with that project. And I just look at people like that and go, would have been really easy for them to just pack it in during this period yes, and take really safe steps. And for, you know, Caitlin does incredible workshops would have been totally easy for Caitlin just to say, well, I'm just going to run a whole bunch of digital workshops and we're just going to do the thing that makes sense in, in, in this kind of stuff. But I look at someone like them who goes, yeah, we're going to do something awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and I think of someone like a, a lot of the work I'm doing right now in terms of personal betterment comes from uh, Sam Sperlin, who works for a company called The Ready, who are an organizational change uh, consultancy in the States. And Sam is like, just singularly focused on being a better person in measuring things that I never would have thought in a million years to measure and uh, eliminating things I never would have thought to eliminate or starting things I never would have thought to start. And I just look at him as like this sort of human scientist, like a guinea pig slash scientist who just sort of says, you know, I'm going to find out whether or not this is good for me by actually doing it and actually running through it. And it's, it's people like him who sort of inspired me to do the 5am club that I'm doing now, which is I'm up every morning at five doing some yoga and some meditation and a few other things. And, And I'm just finding like, 
I'm a better human because I'm doing those things. Yes. And so I'm looking around at people who are making themselves better humans right now. Uh, and I'm following those people, you know, people like you, like people in the midst of this Aww. who are like, well, who are like, I could do something very simple. I could help brands relaunch new brands and I could help build new websites and I could help do all these sorts of things that are things you could absolutely be doing. And I'm assuming also are, um, but at the same time, you're like, you know what? I want to, number one, have an outlet for my creativity in a different way. I want to lift people up by sharing with them the ways that they can be creative or, or should be creative, need to be creative. Um, <laughs> but I just think like, you know, people who are just doing it during this are amazing to me. You know, I think of the, we get our meat from the market, uh, Rose Lane Farms. Um, and I think of the fact that Manfred, who's the guy who runs Rose Lane, not really much of a digital guy. And yet you can order food from Manfred right now online and go pick it up. And he's got curbside pickup and he's doing what he can and all these sorts of things. I think of all the people that are excelling during this time. Um, yes. And I just sort of go, oh that's actually possible. And, and for me, it's, it's that it's that it is possible. It is hard and it's yes. okay. If you can't at certain times, um, you know, we, when this all started every Thursday night, I played board games with a, a bunch of guys. And when this started, we decided we're just going to move it to online. We're just going to play right. online board games, tons of platforms to do that with uh, board game arena and tabletop simulators on steam, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I did it for a couple of weeks and then I messaged them and said, I can't because I spend all day on Zoom calls and on chats with my teams. And, and I actually, I don't mind it when it's one-on-one -on -one like this. Like I, I really don't mind having a conversation with another individual person. But the second that we've got like people talking over people and having to reiterate or like stop and say, wait, what were you going to say, Tristan? Sorry, Laird, you did... Uh, yeah. Roy, what did you post? Okay. The second you get into that, it, it makes my brain hurt. And so I had to tell them like, love you guys. Uh, can't do that right now. Yeah. And I've like, with one of them, I ended up watching like an improv thing on Netflix with just me and him one night where we Amazing. chatted and watched it online with one of the other guys I played NHL one night and it was just me and him. And, and so I've had to just kind of go with one-on-one -on -one interactions in that way. Um, but I just sort of go like, look, if you, if you're not okay, be not okay. Um, tell people you're not okay because you'll be shocked and surprised that neither is everyone else and that they might have some ways to help you. Um, but I, I just think like there's people doing some insanely cool stuff right now. And it would be a shame, uh, not to pay attention to that. So yeah. So I would also like to end on a positive note. Is there anything that you've seen as a result of the pandemic that is positive that you hope keeps happening when we're allowed to hug again? Yeah, I think, um, I think, yes. Uh, I mean, from a creativity perspective, I've just seen people kind of working with what they have. Uh, yes. Um, and that for me has been a huge shift. I think people have eliminated a lot of their like, I can't do that because I don't have the tool or I don't have that or I don't have this. 
And I think people, a lot of people have eliminated that. But the bigger thing that I'm hopeful um, carries on past the pandemic is people I've never been honest with and people who've never been honest with me are suddenly being honest. I see that too. I used to, I'll use the board game night as an example. Um, Sometimes my friends piss me off. (laughs) Sometimes they're right? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I go to board game night and I come home and the next day my wife goes, why did you go to board game night if you're just going to come home angry? And I was like, (laughs) well, you know, and so what I've done in the past is said, oh, guys, I have some work to do tonight or, oh, I, I can't make it tonight. Like the kids are sick or I'm not feeling great or whatever. And I've lied. I've straight up lied as to why I'm not going to board game night. And and then maybe I've gone behind most of their backs and told the one person, like, I'm actually not going because Roy was a jerk this week. And I don't <laughs> want to do it again. Or so-and-so is doing this and, you know, act like a junior high kid. Um, <laughs> but what I did with the guys this time around is I, I very much told them like, it, it's hurting my head and I'm not doing okay. Um, and what we found out was, yeah, neither was everybody else. Like yeah. I thought I would be letting the guys down by not showing up to this thing. And it would, and the fact of the matter is we don't do board game nights most nights on Thursday. Cause everyone has the exact same feeling that I do. And we were yeah. all doing it just to, uh, just to make sure that we didn't let the rest of the people down. Half the guys in that group are obligers. Um, <laughs> and so we didn't want to let anyone down. Like four of the six are obligers. One's a rebel and one's a questioner. Um, I haven't made them do the quiz, but I 100% know that that's what they Oh, mean. yeah. I knew um, before I took the quiz, I was an obliger. <laughs> I just heard I, the options. I'm like, I'm an obliger. <laughs> that one. Uh, so I just think like honesty is something that has been really prevalent during this whole thing. And I'm really hopeful that when we get, uh, when we get back to a time where we can hug, um, that we keep some of that honesty, not all of it. There's stuff you can have, you know, there's certainly stuff people want to keep private maybe you don't want to hurt people's feelings and stuff like that. And like, don't just become a loud jerk because you know, you feel like it, but I think that I'm seeing I'm seeing more people reach out and say I'm not doing okay, um, especially with you know Nova Scotia. It's been more than just uh, oh. the pandemic. It's been an ongoing um, string of things. We need a and break. <laughs> we need a break. We would like 2021 if it could happen now. I was like so hopeful this weekend. I'm like we're gonna get through this long weekend. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. I had a similar, uh, similar situation, similar feeling, but I just like, I really hope that when this is over, people are kind of be, are more willing to say that they need help are more willing to be honest about how they're feeling with people and that we realize that it's not letting other people down to be honest with our emotions and our feelings and with our work. Um, you know, I think of someone like someone that I've, I've always admired is, uh, Dwayne Jones of Art Pays Me. Uh, and you're wearing an Art Pays Me shirt. I didn't even notice till right now. Uh, so I'm surprisingly not, I'm wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey instead of my Art Pays Me sweater. Um, but like one of the things I have loved about Dwayne is over the last few years, not just during this pandemic, Dwayne has become more and more confident in saying what's on his mind. And the results have, have not all been good. 
not everyone is going to say, oh, I love that. Right. But a lot of people are who shared the opinion <laughs> and now get to. And also, it's okay to like create a category of like, actually, I don't want you here. And yeah. so I, I don't actually care what your opinion is. And it's really good to know what your opinion is because now I know that I don't value your opinion because right. it doesn't match with what I feel as a human. But I just think like that's something uh, hugely important to me. I've never been super honest with people in terms of where I was at from a mental health perspective. And um, I'm, I'm generally a pretty outgoing, like, Hey everybody, I'm like happy to be here. And the fact of the matter is, is like, if you're an obliger, the reason you're doing that is because you're like, hi, I just require everyone to love me. So I have to show you just all the good stuff so that you'll love me. And make and, you happy and you happy and, and you, you happy, happy and you happy, happy and you happy and you happy and I can happy, wait. Not so much. I can wait, but I need to make all, all of you super happy. And so that, that to me is the biggest thing. Like, I hope that when this is all over, we're as willing to be honest and as willing to listen to people as we seem to be right now. So, yeah, I love that. I hope that too, because I've been feeling that and experiencing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, if anyone wants to reach out to you after the show, where's, oops, where's the best place to find you or connect with you? Sure. So um, the, there's two places that I would really recommend connecting with me. Um, the first is via email, uh, which is just mike at oneredcat.com. Uh, the other is on Instagram. Uh, and my handle on Instagram that I, that you should use uh, is stuffmikedoes.ca, uh, including the .ca part. Um, I've over the last little while have just become less and less prevalent on other platforms as as I've sort of realized what I really love and, and the places I love to be. Instagram is a space where you will see a huge number of uh, selfies uh, because I like to do selfies. Lots of shots of coffee, lots of shots of books, lots of shots of the beach. Um, and email is just if you have a question, you can definitely reach out. And uh, I think my DMs are open on Instagram. So like if you have a question about stuff, you can always reach out directly. Um, but those are the spaces I like to be right now. And so if you'd like to be with me, those are the spaces that I would like you to be at. And generally, if I do any sort of new projects, so like the, the two new things I'm working on right now, I can't believe I'm working on two new things right now. But the two new things I'm working on right now, I'll probably be talking about on Instagram over the next little while. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being number five. Just snuck in there. Five. Yeah, number Lucky five. Love it. It was a pleasure to see you face to face on via Zoom and chat with you today. Um, I know you're yeah. one of the busiest people, so I am so grateful that you took the time <laughs> to chat with me. <laughs> for me, this was a pleasure. Like I, I again some of the things that I'm loving right now are people like you who are like, well, I can use this space and time to do something awesome. And you've been doing awesome stuff for people for a very long time. And I just really, uh, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to be a part of this. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Make me cry. <laughs> That's the goal. That's always my goal. Can I make him cry? I made him cry. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> And that's it for episode five, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It's a pleasure to have you here. I hope that Mike Tanner was able to bring you some insights and you were able to get a little bit of 
inspiration from our conversation. Until next time, I hope you get to be creative, be kind, and be well.